Now please join us for 30 seconds of silence to ground ourselves and prepare for our talk this morning. very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear or spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room And so I invite you to just simply take a deep breath in this moment. And it is in that giving and receiving of the breath that is one of the beautiful pathways that the infinite has given us for the reception and the release. And so I invite you to take a deep breath and breathe in that breath of life and release anything that you choose to release. Discord, distress, dis-ease, fatigue, wanting, longing. Let us know right here and right now that that one life, the power and presence of spirit that is celebrated in all traditions upon this planet, at the deepest level of celebration we come together and we honor all those traditions. We honor the divinity that is available in and through and as each and every one of us that our journey is unique and powerful and wonderful, each and every one of us, and that there are no mistakes. But what my opportunity in this moment, and I invite you to join me in this, is that whatever is seeking expression by me as I continue to do my own, my own deep work, my own filtering, my own sifting and straining and funneling of my own consciousness, I know that that which I'm called to express and to be and to celebrate and to live in the freedom and the joy that is my divine birthright as it is yours is underway in this moment. That there is enough love within this small room with what appears to be few in numbers compared to the planet. There's a power and a presence alive here. Let us know that that deep abiding presence that deep healing presence, that all-knowing presence, that all-powerful presence is having its way in and through and as each and every one of us. It is done in my life by putting down the armor and the protection that I carry with me throughout my week at times. 
to make it through traffic, to make it through my day, to make it through conversations that are uncomfortable. But in this moment, I know that I stand in the safety and the joy and the celebration of life powerfully and beautifully and wonderfully. So something transforms its way by means of us. For this I give thanks and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Good morning. Not sure if I'm losing battery power or not, but we'll find out shortly, I guess. I know what it is. I'll tell you in a minute. So uh, this morning we're, uh, we're discussing prayer. And uh, I brought a couple of my favorite books along with me this, this month's uh, book of the month is, uh, yeah, I think we're losing power on the mic, Bill. So we may want to get a battery ready, but either that or I'm, I'm flickering out. But I hope it's not me. Anyway, um, uh, the idea around uh, prayer is, is so, so simple and yet so powerful because it, it's... Um, we approach prayer in our philosophy and, 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 uh, and the way we approach spirituality in a way that's uh, a bit different. And I want to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to invite uh, Darlene to put up uh, the first slide there and talking about sages today. And so this idea of sages, to set our, our conversation up a little bit. Thank you, Carolyn, just in case. Battery number two. Put it in there with my cigarettes and chewing gum. Anyway, and I'm sitting today, I'm, I'm sitting today, I did something to the back of my calf yesterday, and, and uh, I'm not sure what it is, but I know God knows what it is, and I'm just uh, a little tender today, and uh, actually I've had a lot of great suggestions as to stories I can make up about it, that I'm auditioning for the part of Walter Brennan in the Walter Brennan story, if you remember the real McCoys, he used to limp around, hey, Lukey boy, um, that I got, uh, I pulled it running away from the police last night was another suggestion I got. Um, you know, and all kinds of things. But anyway, um, I was just a bit too active and, and popped something. So I just know it's my opportunity to sit today and, and, and uh, share with you. But this idea around sages that I wanted to uh, start out with is this. Uh, sages is a, a Latin word that means to taste. Isn't that interesting that sages taste? And what sages taste is wisdom. So there have been, throughout cultures, throughout all of the, the uh, ages, the, the, the first place where it showed up and, more, and has been recorded was in, with the Greeks. And the Greeks were an amazing culture. The Greeks were a very high calibration of consciousness and very wise in, in terms of perspective. They had their own hierarchy of gods and things like that, of course, but, but a, a depth of understanding. And so at that point in time, Socrates was the one that decided there were seven sages in that environment that he was going to give that designation to. And as luck would have it, it didn't go well because all the other sages felt left out. Isn't this how the human condition works? How come I'm not on the list? But he identified seven qualities and the sages were people that, that uh, at that point in time were people that could be very succinct. They could answer with great wisdom and with, with a, a brevity of what they had to say that brought just infinite clarity and an insight that people could ponder. And so that, it began there, and then in the third century, there's the, uh, the, sa the seven sages of the bamboo grove. And that arose out of um, the, um, um, one of the dynasties in the third century. And it was uh, along the, the path of the Taoism. And the Taoist, um, at that point in time, the seven sages of the bamboo grove were musicians and artists and people that created stuff. 
And, and they also love to sing music and they love to get together and drink wine. And I think it's just such an appropriate, probably, container for the way we do spirituality. I told the musicians at the first service, you'd fit right in. But a lot of that activity was not supported at the time. It was very repressive. There were battles, there were three kingdoms. And, and so these sages wanted to express, they wanted to create, and they came together in a small community which was a bamboo grove where there was some isolation and they could, they could come together and celebrate their creativity, their artistry, their poetry, their music, and uh, celebrate life. And so in this um, beautiful book that inspired this story, The 7,000 Ways to Listen by Mark Nepo, our book of the month is actually where I'm pulling this story from. It's a beautiful way of, of, of saying to all of us as we all move into this sage consciousness, how do we... What do we, how do we listen and what do we listen for and to in our lives? At the beginning of the presence of sages in this chapter, it said there's four types among those who sit in the presence of sages. There's the sponge, the funnel, the strainer, and the sieve. The sponge who soaks up everything, the funnel who takes in at this end and lets out at the other, the strainer who lets out the wine and retrain, retains the dregs, and the, the sieve who removes the coarse meal and collects the fine flour. And so all of us fit into to that to varying degrees at different times in our lives. I don't think any, any of us is one particular thing at any one time. But it's a wonderful metaphor of, of the, the, the process of, of the journey, the spiritual journey that we're on and the, and the opportunities that we have. So I wanted to, to plant a bit of the seed around the sages and the presence of sages because at the end of the day, we're all sages. We all get to decide. It's not to defer to someone else, not to say, oh, that person is wiser than me, so I will listen to them. And we've all done that. We've all read. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got a book open here that's full of wonderful things by Dr. Ernest Holmes and Mark Nepo and all these great teachers and, and thinkers. And yet, the opportunity for, for myself and for you to understand that, that it's our opportunity to deepen in our own wisdom and our own connection with spirit. So um, on the slide around the, the, um, the insights of, uh, of prayer, the first one that Dr. Holmes talks about is he asks the question, because we talk about affirmative prayer here. When we come together in every, pretty much every activity, we, we begin by an invocation, a recognition, and an invocation of spirit in our lives. And the question is arise in the, the, his textbook, the Science of Mind textbook on page 149, is our prayers and treatment or affirmative prayer, are they the same thing? And his answer is yes and no. In other words, that if we are praying from, so the, to understand the distinction, if we are praying in our prayer in a connection of oneness, that we realize that there's a power for good that is all-powerful, there's an intelligence that supports all of us that we are, can be connected with, that's all-knowing, and that there's this presence that is always present. If we are connected to that energetic However we pray, however we use our words, then our prayer is in fact an affirmative prayer. And on the other hand, the subtleties of it and the way I was taught as a young boy was that to pray to God out there somewhere. God's up there, God's out there somewhere. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray to God and, and hope and, and what, basically what I was doing was begging and pleading, but it felt like prayer to me when I was five or six years old. And, uh, and hope that something good would show up. You know, hope that what I was expecting, what I wanted to have in my life, the new bike or the new sled for the winter or whatever it may be, 
Those were pretty much, you know, my category of prayers at that point in time. I, I wasn't really interested in world peace, you know, but, but the point being is that so when we're aware of the presence, so it speaks to me and it suggests to all of us that the first step in prayer is to, to ground ourselves in the, in the divinity that we are. And when we come together in this sacred space, I'm going to, I think I'm going to try a new battery just because... Every time it stops, I forget where I am. But I'll tell you a story while I'm doing this. So this guy, because I was limping around this morning and I thought about this. So this guy goes in and he buys a new suit. I can't tell you this while I take the battery out, can I? You back up? Good. We sell these used batteries in the bookstore for $100 each, by the way. They're officially blessed by the Monsignor. Healing powers beyond capacity. Money back guarantee. Okay, so I'll finish the story. So guy goes, because I've been limping around all morning with this, this uh, cab, and this guy goes in and he buys a new suit, and, and he has it tailor-made, and he comes back and he tries it on, and the one leg is three inches too long, and the, and, the, and the one sleeve is three inches too long. So he says to the tailor, you know, this isn't working. You know, look, I can't see my hand. And he said, my, my foot's buried in fabric. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, what you do is you put your hand in that pocket and you pull it up. So you hold, you hold yourself there. And then you bring this up over like this, and you wear it like that. He says, there you go. And the guy says, really? He says, yeah, it looks fabulous on you. He says, okay. So he walks out of the tailor, hall, tailor shop, and he walks by these two men, and these guys say, one guy says, you see that poor crippled guy? And he says, yeah, but did you see the great suit he had on? So anyway, I just said, thought about it today. So do you see the great suit I have on? So anyway, this idea that, that we... Connect with spirit when we do our prayer work. And in this, this beautiful story about sages, he tells this wonderful story that I'm going to weave in with these principles that Holmes talks about in terms of prayer. So number one is that prayer treatment or, or, or affirmative prayer or prayer become the same when we pray from that spaciousness of connection with spirit. So what ties in beautifully is this metaphor of, of the, the story of this young man. There's a young man who's eager to learn all he could about life. And he was very devoted. He was very sincere. And so he left his family and he came upon a baker. He found this baker and this baker was a marvelous baker and he made some of the finest pastries and bakery items you could possibly make. And he decided that he would, he would apprentice with him. And he watched the baker use a sieve to sift the flour and the, and the sugar. So he would take the coarse and make it into something very fine and useful and light. And this young man looked at that and he saw the baker and he said, wow, he said, I you know what, I'll sift the best from life. Separating what is gross from what is fine, this is how I'll learn and think and work and love, filtering out the unwanted pieces. So everything unlike what I don't want, I'll, I'll sift that out. But while his, his heart became schooled at sifting out this harsh and the indigestible, he found that basing his life only on what is fine can be dangerous. Like building a house on sand, once sifted, nothing was foundational and there was nothing substantial enough to stand on and his life became like powder. 
but it's important. He found an apprentice. He found a place to learn. He found that, that learning piece. And so he decided that he was going to, he was going to start to develop the discernment of what is fine, what will he have in his life, what will he filter and, and, and experience. But he realized it was only one piece. It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't, it didn't create a foundation that he was looking for. So in the second piece of, in the second piece of Dr. Holmes' discussion about prayer, he talks about laws governing prayer, that there are laws involved with prayer. And laws are things that just simply are. It's not something that we can, we can work around. It's not something that we can uh, short circuit. Uh, we simply have to deal with the laws that are available. And he said that we should bear in mind that the prayers which are effective, no matter whose prayers they may be, are effective because they embody certain universal principles, which, when, which understood can be consciously used. So part of our study and our movement is that we understand, to begin to understand the principles so we can consciously use them. So in other words, we're, giving, we're given a tool and then we need to study the manual of how it operates to the point where we start to embody those principles. Holmes continues, if God ever answered prayer, he always answers prayer. So prayer is always answered. Our prayers are always answered at the level of consciousness that we are. And there's the, and there's the challenge for us. So if all we're doing is sifting and creating powder in our lives and there's no foundational piece, if that's our only tool and our only perspective, then we'll have a lot of powder, but we won't have the foundation. We'll have a, a, an acute ability to discern, and yet we may be discerning, our discerning may become our practice so entrenched that we leave out other elements that are seeking their way to us. Holmes said that spirit or God manifests itself through all of us. And no two people are alike. Each has a unique place in the universe of mind. Each lives in mind. And each contacts it through his own mentality. So your connection with spirit is your connection. And my connection is my connection. Unique, wonderful. They don't have to be the same. That's why we have so many traditions on the planet. Typically what's happened on the planet is you have a prophet that'll come along, has a mystical experience and said, this is the way. When in fact, that, that, that's simply their experience. You know, the Buddha was so wise. The Buddha said, question everything. Don't believe anything I tell you. Discover it for yourself. So this is what this young man is doing on the journey. With his, he, he worked with the baker. And then he realized that, that with the baker, he left the baker knowing that sweet things are necessary but not enduring. That there was more. And so in time, he came upon a winemaker and he apprenticed with him. And he watched as the winemaker let the blood-like wine ferment in large oak casks. And after much waiting, he saw how the winemaker would strain the aging wine to catch the dregs and the sediment. Somebody told me afterwards that you can, you actually take the dregs and the sediment and you turn it into grappa. So it's obviously somebody that knows a lot more about wine than I do, but anyway, for the, for the purposes of this story, we're not going to use the grappa, Okay. But he said, and now he thought, this, the young apprentice said, now this is it. This is how I'll strain the difficult lessons of life. This is, how I'll let the license, this is how I'll let the lessons of pain and heartache age. This is how I'll strain what is drinkable from them. But the apprentice was surprised to watch the winemaker grow drunk from his own wine and saw how the pain and heartache surfaced anyway. Isn't this how so many of us attempt to do life with heartache and, and pain is that we want to stuff it we want to drink over it. We want to affirm over it. We want to dull the pain. And, and I love this metaphor, not that I'm happy for this individual, but even though I'm pushing it down, it still bubbles up. You know, the, the intoxication will distract us for a moment, but it still bubbles up. 
He said, this is how I'll strain what is drinkable from them. So while it is possible and even admirable to strain out the broken pieces that life brings us, we still must guard against becoming intoxicated by the sediment of life, which speaks to this idea of our consciousness. And Holmes is talking about this in prayer work, that we, we, we move ourselves into a spaciousness of connection with spirit. And so many people do it in so many ways and so many great and wonderful traditions upon this planet. Good, sincere people that are devoted to their spiritual practice. And, and yet, at times, what happens in my experience has been, for, for, in my own life, that I'll let the sediment or the, the dregs of my life that I really can't, can't drink uh, become the focus of my life. And so, so much of my energy goes at looking at the sediment that's, that's been established by the, by the passage of time and by my life experiences. How can, I, how can I not intoxicate myself in a way where I think I can push myself down by distractions or addictions? You know, last week I talked about addictions. And addiction is really, the root word of addiction actually comes from attached to. In, in fact, in ancient times when someone had an addiction, it was simply to say, I'm attached to this study. My addiction is to study this. My addiction is, and it wasn't termed, uh, it wasn't termed negative. It was what we were attached to. So now the, 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 the uh, apprentice has come to learn the lesson about filtering the wine and about straining out what is not drinkable from what is drinkable. To strain out the broken pieces of life that life brings us, but to be guard against becoming intoxicated by the sediment of life. To, not, to understand that's part of it, but it's not, it's not the primary focus in terms of our own opportunity and divinity here. Holmes says this, so let me give you an idea about what might be more uh, interesting to be addicted to. On page 151, he said, if one makes themselves receptive to the idea of love, we become lovable. So there's something we can become addicted to in a healthy way. Love of self, love of environment, love of the planet, love of one another, compassion, care, love at its highest form. Love without expectation. I think what happens for us when we think we love something and then all of a sudden we have expectation, it's not a form of love. It becomes part of that, it becomes that unhealthy form. To the the degree that we embody love, we are love. So people who love are loved. Whoever becomes receptive to the idea of peace, poise, and calm, whoever embodies these divine realities, finds them flowing through him, through us, and we become peaceful, poised, and calm. So it's that simple. The value in that. You know, one of the things that Jesus taught in his lessons, if we study the scripture of Jesus, was that you know, there were many stories in the, in the, the Gospels where he, he, there were, things would happen. There would be a storm upon the sea that they'd be in the boat. And he would remain calm in it. There would be throngs of people that were upset and, and, and it looked like a riot was about to break up. And all the time, you always hear about the apostles, those closest to him, that were drawn to him and supported him, wanted to be like him, wanted to be healers and men of great faith. And their faith would waver. And they'd be on that stormy sea and they'd be shaking in their boots and, and Jesus would say, as it was recorded, be not afraid. But what he would do in his practice is he would go away and he would pray. He would go away and he would talk about in scripture how when he would come back, he would be changed. There would be a renewing. See, you know, what I love about Holmes, Holmes loved the life of Jesus in Nazareth. Loved and adored that, that story, all the stories about him. 
inspired his ministry. But he, what he realized, which is a challenge for many, is that we are not, he was not the great exception. He was a great example. That that opportunity to live in close proximity with the, the father, mother, God is all of ours. And, and that was the cornerstone of Dr. Holmes' teaching. The next piece is that, that prayer is essential to happiness. That prayer, having meaningful prayer in our life, is essential to our happiness. He said, it's, it, Holmes said, it's not for the salvation of the soul, for the soul is never lost, but to the conscious well-being of the soul that does not understand itself. See, and the more we connect with it, there's an in, there's a intangible understanding. There's a peace and poise and calm that comes along with that. But it re, what it requires is, is to turn in that direction. And so for some, as the Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing to be in that constant uh, communication and that constant relationship. There is a vitality in our communion with the infinite. There is a life force. There's a vibration in our communion with the infinite that is unlike any other. It is productive and of the highest good, as Dr. Holmes talked about. Productive and of the highest good. So back to our apprentice. Our apprentice has apprenticed with the, the baker and learned how to sift things and make them very fine. But he realized there was more. There was more to life than making things sweet and, and tasty. And then he moved in with the winemaker and realized the winemaker was doing another powerful transformative thing. But yet, it, he watched the winemaker become intoxicated over and over again and still his pain would still bubble up. And so after a period of time, he decides, well, I guess I'm not, this isn't the place where I'm gonna stay. And so the, he moved on. And by now he was no longer young, but he was middle-aged. And as he tried, he came upon a farmer who gave him some water. And they struck up a friendship and he saw that the farmer was a master at irrigation, at funneling water into the root system that braided his land. He stayed on to learn how wide openings can gather water, how narrow pipes can carry it, how smaller openings can feed the water to the things that need it. So now he thought, this, this is it, this is how I live. I will no longer try to get things out of life, but live as an instrument, as a funnel myself. I will open my heart wide and collect the waters of life and carry them through me to, to, to water things in need. He thought, this is how I will be authentic and of use. And the apprentice stayed with the farmer for many years. In times of plenty, they fed many people, which is great joy. All of a sudden, his spiritual journey, he's deepening. It's about being of service. It's about helping others. It's not about just simply figuring out in his own small way how he will live. He'll sift things and he will filter things. But all of a sudden, he realized the capacity. You see the, the depth of his understanding of, of participation in the world. And the apprentice stayed with the farmer for many years. In times of plenty, they fed many. In times of lack, they kept everyone in water. And it was good to be of use. This is also the serotonin that kicks in. When we feel good about seeing something happen good in the world, it's the serotonin high that we get. I was doing this amazing, reading an amazing book on, on addiction, and there's four chemicals that we all participate in. Dopamine is getting our stuff, serotonin is serving others. It's a balance between the dopamine and the serotonin, because we, we need to fill up our cup as well as a share. Over the years, the aging apprentice began to feel worn down by being a funnel. All this taking in and giving out all the time, taking in, giving, taking, just becoming the funnel, giving away, giving away, giving away. Especially in the narrow part of him that carried love to others. Because when all you're doing is giving and you're not accepting, that's only half of the equation. 
And it's finding that, it's finding that balance. Living like this has, has scorched his insides and he felt at times that he was losing the depth and calm of the whole to this narrowing. So he wasn't, he, it wasn't complete for him. Even though he was of service, he realized there was something missing. He wasn't able to take in what he needed in service to others. And that leads to depletion. Holmes said that prayer is essential to happiness for all of us. It is not the salvation of the soul, for the soul is never lost, but to the conscious well-being of the soul that does not understand it. There is a vitality in our communion with the infinite that is productive of the highest good. This conscious commingling of our thought with spirit is essential to the well-being of every part. And he continues, prayer is its own answer. Before our prayer is framed in words, God has already answered. But if our prayer is one of partial belief, then there is only a tendency towards its answer. And this is what happens for us. Because we can only show up in our lives to the ability that we're able to outpicture in our own mentalities what's possible. When we were at the Epcot uh, Center in, in Florida a few weeks back, we went to one of their rides, and it's called Soarin'. Anybody here been to Soarin'? It's this amazing ride. They put you in a long bench. There's like 15 of you, and you, you're all strapped in. And then they lift you up, and they put you about four feet in, from this screen. And then they show you this amazing images. They're flying over snow, and as they fly over the snow, you can smell the pine trees. And they're flying through this valley, which is actually the valley where my first church was in Fillmore, California. So if you want to know what that valley looked like, you ever see Soren and they're going over the orange groves? That's Fillmore. And I'm going, there's Fillmore. I wanted everybody to know, but nobody cared. They were all having fun on the ride. But my point being is I thought, what a great thing to have where, where we could sit. We all strap ourselves in every morning to this thing. We've, we lift ourselves up and three feet from us is the outpicturing of our ideal day, what it looks like. Wonderful relationships, creative expression, wonderful abundance, wonderful health, all of those things that we want to have in our lives and continue to work with that. And I thought, wow, we need one of those at church. But until we get there, we get to use our imagination and embody those ideas. Otherwise, we have partial experiences with that. And there's nothing wrong with partial experiences. It means that we're making progress. It's not a cause for failure. But Holmes says, so we learn to go deeply within ourselves and speak as though there were a presence there that knows. And we should take the time to unearth this hidden cause, to penetrate this inner chamber of consciousness. It is most worthwhile to commune with spirit, to sense and to feel it. The approach to spirit is direct through our own consciousness. This morning, if you didn't know, we, we had our first meditation in the sanctuary at, at 940 from now on, we will start a meditation here. It was beautiful. There were over 60 people that came to our meditation. Now, isn't this interesting how many people show up and we used to do it in our, in our uh, solarium. It was a beautiful, beautiful experience. I welcome you to it. If you can come a bit early, 9.40 to 9.55. Uh, it's just a beautiful way to set the, the pattern, but what happens is in that vibration, but we set it together, and it's beautiful. And then when we walk in here at, at 11.30, we, are, we, are, we walk into that vibration, and that's always happened, but it was so beautiful to do it intentionally. I've wanted to do this since I've, I came here, but, but we weren't ready. There were a lot of logistics, and there, we hadn't grown into the clarity around that. So, the apprentice. By now, he was an old man. So he'd done the baker, he'd done the wine, and he was a farmer. And when he was a sifter, he was a sieve, and he was the funnel. And now he was an old man, and when his friend died, 
that he apprenticed with, the farmer. He sat under the largest tree on the farm and he thought about his life with the baker, the winemaker, and the farmer. And he thought about how his heart had been a sieve, a strainer, and a funnel. And he could feel the gift of each and the cost of each. And then that's when he left the farm and he made his way to the sea where he lived quietly, roaming the shore. And in his remaining years, he befriended a sponge diver and became fascinated by the simplicity of sponges to absorb without preference and to give without holding back. See the freedom in that? To take in whatever life is bringing and to also give out in the freedom without condition. And of course, there's a tremendous amount of discernment that goes into that. It's not just absorbing whatever comes along, but it's, it's, it's just being at peace with all of it. He thought, this is where I've been led. This is how I will live what years are left, accepting like a sponge and giving like a sponge. Taking in and, and a, such a beautiful metaphor for the journey and being connected and trusting and living in that faith. And so he spent his days being porous and cleansing, giving and receiving. In such a beautiful way. Dr. Holmes has a, a beautiful quote that I want to leave with you, leave with you this morning. Prayer is its own answer. As warm, as fire warms the body, as food strengthens us, as the sunshine raises our spirits, so there is a subtle transformation of some invisible force in such communion, weaving itself into the very warp and woof of our own mentalities. So prayer is his own answer, as Dr. Holmes talked about, is that spirit knows before we ask. When we were in Abhijanya, going before John of God, who's an amazing mystic and quite a remarkable story, but they would say to us that when you get up there, they already know what you're going to ask, so don't worry about it, but just be clear. So the responsibility was for us to be clear, to know what you're going to ask, because if it's not clear, we have to give God something juicy. Gene Houston, amazing teacher, says, give God something juicy to work with, you know? Instead of all this, I'm looking at my own life. Why don't I give God something really big and juicy? Instead of these little things I'm, you know, I always love it when people tell me they're starting to demonstrate parking places. Man, if your, if your spiritual practice involves just simply finding parking spaces, it's time for a juicier idea to give spirit to work with because we are in co-creation. Nothing wrong with parking places. It's a good thing. But I think that we sell spirit short in our relationship with it. And so prayer is such a powerful practice. And prayer can be something that we, we live in more often than not. You know, the prayer that I'm, I'm in the right place at the right time, that I'm always guided. Whatever is important for me to know in this moment is made clear in my awareness. That I direct this infinite intelligence within me to remind me when I start to go off the path, back into my own habitual thinking, which no longer serves me. There's all kinds of agreements that we can make with spirit. They say in Abhijanya that there, we are... We are Behind us are the generations and generations of those that love us, here to support us. And if we don't ask, they don't have permission to help us. If we are not saying thank you a thousand times a day for the support and the guidance and the presence that's there, we're missing an opportunity. And I love that idea. I love it knowing that, I, I love that and sensing that sense of connection with spirit, that deep abiding connection. And, and, and things still show up in my experience and your experience that are, that are upsetting or, or disappointing. But to also know that at the end of the day to understand that our lives are eternal. 
Our souls are eternal. And that what we've brought into our experience, whatever it looks like, is there for the continuing deepening and maturation of our souls to crack us open at times. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful experience. What a beautiful way to live a life. But to also understand the responsibility that's required for all of us to, to stand in our divinity, to continue to co-mingle in that experience of spirit, and to know that if our prayers fall short, it's just an opportunity for us to continue to do more, more work in our own being so that whatever I must become, whatever my part to, to, to hold and be in this relationship continues to be made clear for me. And then the life in our lives are transformed. It's a beautiful thing. And to also bask in the knowing this day that this is enough to be here together, to be in love and to be in compassion and to be in celebration. To celebrate this music and have it transform us. To celebrate the, the consciousness of being together. To celebrate this sacred space that says, this house is God's house. My life is God's life. And it's true for everyone. Many are not awake to that. Many are not aware, to that, aware of that. Many haven't had the opportunity. But that's the truth. That's why all teachings work. That's why all spiritual, uh, spirituality has value. And there are mystics, there are people that have mined the depths of their own awareness throughout history that we use as inspiration. So I'm talking to sages. In the presence of sages is what I am today. I celebrate you, I see you as magnificent and powerful wherever you are on your journey, that you are loved and cherished. You are of the divine, beautiful, powerful, and amazing. And so our capacity to stand in the peace and the poise and the calm, to, to grow in love, to affirm that and know that is a powerful prayer. Blessings and so it is.